What up, peeps? Swizzle here. That's Guy Adami. December 22nd, Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Dan Nathan is currently on a plane. But you know what? Carter Braxton Worth said, I'll fill in. We called in the big right-hander, and this is a perfect day to have him. This, in fact, is Market Call. Today's Market Call brought to you by SoFi. Uh, get your money right all in one app. We are sponsored, and our data partner is FactSet, financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. Carter, welcome aboard, sir. My man, uh, lots of red. And, lots of uh, red. And listen, I, you know, again, people say that, you know, I bend over back. I don't. I mean, what's happened over the last, I would say, you know, since June or so, maybe earlier than that, I mean, a lot of these things have played out the way you said. And what's interesting, and we'll go to the first slide. A lot of people are attributing uh, today's move to David Tepper. And I watched the interview and I want to spend a minute here because since November of last year, you know, I've come on a number of times, other people as well. And, you know, David Tepper would frustrate me in the easy monetary policy years because he'd come on and say, look, you know, I'm not the smartest person out there, somewhat self-deprecating, obviously. He goes, but with the Fed adding liquidity, keeping rates at zero, if you're bearish in this environment, you're fighting the Fed and, you know, the market's going to go higher. And that simplicity would irritate me to no end. But, you know, sometimes I think, Carter, we make this more difficult than it needs to be. I say that because when the Fed pivoted in November of last year, one of the first things that I said, and I've said it countless times since, and I've mentioned David Tepper, you know, if you're bearish when the Fed is adding liquidity, you're fighting the Fed. It stands to reason if you're bullish while the Fed is taking away liquidity and raising rates, you're fighting the Fed. And he said exactly that this morning, Carter. Well, that's right. I mean, the Fed is a big player, right? And, and uh, in, in many ways, that expression, don't fight the Fed, is a testament to fighting the biggest player of all. And yet, at the very same time, as you often point out yourself, the Fed is not infallible. Uh, the Fed um, has a lot of mistakes, and ultimately, the Fed isn't bigger than the market. Um, efforts to stop depressions are, have been uh, faulty at best, stop sell-offs. Uh, so many people believe in plunge protection between teams and so forth. So the question is, ultimately, is there anything new today about the price action other than we've been going down for 11 months mm -hmm. and that all counter-trend rallies have faltered at some point, just as this counter-trend rally has and is. And now uh, we are once again in the red. There's a lot of volatility. You know, for instance, like today is a 10 to 1 day, numbers even more, maybe 11 to 1 stocks in the S&P down versus up. But yesterday was the reverse. Yesterday was almost a 10 to 1 day up. So this sort of well, everything's great, everything's not great is symptomatic of a market that's not well. Agreed. And you know, we say it all the time, and you've mentioned this, some of the most violent rallies take place in bear markets. And we've been in a bear market for quite some time, yet you've seen some counter-trend rallies that have been uh, pretty, well, I mean, and pretty powerful in, in a word. Uh, to a certain extent, you saw one last week or so, that huge rally off the CPI that then sub that basically got sold off. And you saw something yesterday as well. I think people were sort of hoping that yesterday was the beginning of this year-end rally. And who knows? I mean, maybe that still comes to pass. But obviously today, we're seeing the other side of that. It's interesting. A lot of people on the chat are asking about NVIDIA. Well, here you go, folks. Take a look at an NVIDIA chart because this says to me, this really speaks to what's going on. Again, a stock that 
topped out effectively in November of last year-ish. I mean, you look at the way the stock has traded since. We just rallied, Carter, from that 108 low up to 182 or so in NVIDIA. That's like a 68% rally or 70% rally. Think about that for a second. I mean, it's pretty powerful, but now it's giving it up again. And I think this embodies a lot of what's going on. A market that's in a downtrend, a stock that's in a downtrend, where you see very powerful countertrend rallies. But nothing's really effectively changed in this downward trajectory. And as you point out, it's the countertrend rallies that are so difficult because that's as 60%. There are others that were up that much, even more. So much so and so uniform throughout the market that you have a large contingent of people making the claim that it, we were in a new bull. In fact, the Wall Street Journal put out new bull because we're up 20% off the low. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the problem. When you draw in, it takes a lot of capital to push individual stocks up 30, 40, 50%. And if and as it starts to be wrong, that very capital becomes an accelerant on the way out. That's right. That's 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 exactly right. And again, we're not trying to, you know, I mean, we're not doom and gloomers. I think we play it right down the middle in terms of where we see things. A lot of times, you know, we get caught up. People, you know, sort of lump us in that you guys are always negative. That's actually patently false. I mean, you've talked about moves to the upside a number of times. And I think we did a very good job back in June, you know, talking about the potential for a 15 to 18 percent rally that subsequently happened. Again, we're going to look at the S&P chart now. And again, we did it back on October 13th, 14th, when you had the VIX north of 34. You had some crazy intraday swing moves. And we said this reeks of short-term capitulation and 4,100 or so was in the cards. And that's pretty much what happened. But here we are, Carter, and I'll let you speak to this. But when the uptrend's in place, it looks great. Well, when that downtrend's in place, yeah, we retest it. But then the subsequent sell-offs, a series of lower highs, a series of lower lows. And at a certain point, I think this resolves itself, but I don't think we're there yet. Right. And what so, makes it always so difficult is you see how ever so slightly after hitting our head a month ago, we pushed above uh, that downtrend line, drawing in, again, quite a bit of money and euphoria only to have it all be smashed and dashed now. And independent of each day, the newsprint, right? This CPI number, that PMI number, this payroll number. The real question is the arc for equities, mm -hmm. the path in the year ahead. Is it really one that is possibly good uh, or better than average? I just don't see that, right? So while I, I think, of course, there's real risk that it's quite unhappy yet again, and we get a back-to-back -back, uh, red year, it's not about the downside at any given point, markets always, this is called risk assets. It's about, is there upside? And if you can start to come to the conclusion that the upside is limited, it begs the question, why be involved in the asset class? Mm -hmm. Which ultimately means one should be very cautious. Then I think, yeah, yeah, I agree with it. And, you know, Mark Keynes, who you knew, I knew, um, obviously, I don't say we worked together, but he was a huge part of CNBC. He, he, you know, people will say the Haynes bottom and back, uh, I guess it was sometime in 09, I'm, I'm losing track of time, but, you know, he pretty much called the bottom of that financial crisis stock market, if you go back and look. And I, I think since then, there have been a lot of people that want to replicate that. So there's so many people quick to say that was the low because they want to get themselves sort of on that Mount Rushmore of prognosticators. But the reality is, 
doesn't happen all the time. And, you know, Lane Garzarelli only happens once a generation, Mark Haynes as well. So part of what I've viewed our job is to be is not to be the person that calls tops or bottoms, but to try to point out correctly what's going on and sort of reading the tea leaves. So I can sleep well at night knowing there'll be a lot of people that rush to judgment in the market because they want to be that person. You won't be that person by definition because that's not what you do. Neither will I. It begs the next chart, though, you know, talk about I love these sort of graphs you bring with us and sort of when you put numbers to it. Let's take a look at the next one, because I think it speaks to gaps and what happens and filling said gaps. And this is interesting. And we'll look at the chart again after this. Yeah. So this is just the most immediate gaps above and below. And what, what you see is sort of to some extent goalposts. If one were bullish here. Um, the odds of rallying as much as 10, 11% to fill that August 22nd gap, uh, that would be a big move. And indeed, just as it would be to get to the November 3, 4 um, gaps upside. Remember, that was associated with COVID. Those are the vaccine days, right? November 3, 4, uh, you had Pfizer and Moderna coming out with their. And so the market maybe has to check those off. That's sort of a spasmodic moment of euphoria, COVID all the damage is done, we have a cure, but it's not a cure, of course, it's a vaccine and so forth. So if you consider those parameters, uh, I think we do have a chart and you can and you can see here, so this is the same chart with the trend lines, but there's every possibility, right, that we ultimately fill those lower gaps from November 3, November 4. Mm -hmm. And that really would take you to the bottom of the 15-year the channel. Uh, we've enjoyed looking at all of us together many times. And that that's a reasonable uh, consideration. I would have this chart on my cork board in my office. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And it's interesting, I'm reading the comments as you're speaking and I'm listening to you, but uh, somebody mentioned that you know, using all-time highs <laughs> as a reference point is probably not the right thing to do. And I totally get it, but there's a reason why we do it. I think part of it is to point out maybe the absurdity of where things were at the time and to point out, again, not necessarily that they could get back there, but to show that even though so many of these stocks have down 60, 70, in some cases, 80 percent, it doesn't mean there's not further room to the downside. So we bring it up to illustrate, again, how crazy things may have been a year or so ago. And I think a lot of people look at it and say, well, stock's down 70 percent. How much lower can it go? And the answer is, in a lot of cases, a lot lower. And you right. point that out as a, often, Carter. I mean... Again, the, the all time. I, I mean, I would totally disagree, perchance, with that. I mean, every reference point matters. I agree with 52 that. Two-week lows and fifty-two-week highs matter. Intermediate lows, the low from a month ago, the lows of June for the market, and all-time highs. I mean, we know that you know it took Amazon a long time to get back to its dot-com peak, and some stocks have never, of course, returned to that level. So all levels matter. All reference points matter, and the idea is to try to examine them all. Somebody's asking, uh, is Danny Moses still short Tesla going into today? As far as I know, the answer to that question is yes, because I think Danny still sees significant uh, move to the downside. So I can't speak for Danny, but I think the short answer is yes. And again, somebody said that bull markets are more fun. And that's true if you're just sort of an passive investor and watching your money seemingly uh, gain in value each and every day in terms of your holdings. I understand that. But what, what I'll tell you, and I think, Carter, you agree with this, the most violent rallies, again, as I said earlier, take place in bear markets. So I would submit 
that a bear market for traders is actually more fun. Now, I might be wrong, but that's just my view, you know, given some of the moves. And we can put that NVIDIA chart up again just to illustrate exactly that. You know, when you catch a bit of a bottom in these things, the moves to the upside can be extraordinarily violent. Again, it doesn't mean anything's been fixed by any stretch. And then you're looking for the opportunity to do what we call a sell the double. And what that means is you sell out of your long position, not only do that, then you get short on the backside of it. And that's sort of higher higher end trading. But that's the way I look at this environment, Carter. Yeah, I mean, in terms of what's more fun, I mean, obviously what's fun is succeeding, right? And so Agreed. if you can make money, however you can make it, yeah, that's more fun than losing. But in principle, yes, the mar markets are built to go up. They go up 70% uh, of the time. And most everyone, I mean, if you look at total short interest at any given time in the New York Stock Exchange, it's 2 3%. All of the major pension plans and endowments and family offices, generally speaking, and most humans are long. And so down, most people don't like it. Yeah, I agree with that. And I understand that. And you understand it intuitively as well. But you know, when you put the trading cap on, things look a little bit different. It's interesting, um, you know, some of the comments coming out and, you know, Tesla for an entry point. Let's talk about Tesla quickly. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll wait on Tesla. Let's talk about energy, the XLE. That's something that obviously a lot of people did well in in this year. Energy was a big trade, but you're seeing something that I think concerns you going in uh, to next year. Yeah, so we know as uptrends go, you couldn't have a more well-defined uptrend. This is the XLE, of course, the, the spider that mirrors the S&P 500 energy sector. And those lines are very straightforward and, and the double top is very straightforward. So to my eye and, and for my money, uh, I'm interested in buying if and as we get down to trend yet again. And that would imply you know, about a 10% move from here to go sub 80 uh, and back to that well-defined orange trend line. So you look at this and those tops suggest we're going to do exactly that. What changes pattern in this? Is it a violation of that trend line? Or, for example, would it be a close below sort of the June lows, which is, as your eyes look at it, sort of the third or the fourth up arrow on this chart? Yeah, breaching the trend line would be an issue. I mean, that would be so that's, again, how quickly you go down there, go down to tomorrow. That's more like 75 if you drift there over the course of the next two to three months, that's more like 78, 79. But either way, um, I'm, I'm a buyer for a bounce off the trend line. And if and as it starts to breach, then uh, it's wrong. You just abandon that judgment. And, and those who have the dexterity to do it, the best trades are often ones where you're wrong and you flip it around and go the mm -hmm. other way. And the reason that is, is because a lot of people just can't do it. They're yeah, like, well, mentally, wait a minute, I bought this at 20x. I, I'm selling it at 18. I'm wrong. Not only wrong, I'm going to go short at 18. Most people can't do that, which is, I understand it's a human condition, but having a frictionless mind, forget about what you lost or made. I'm a buyer on trend. If it breaches trend, flip it around and get short. Listen, I think that's really worth sort of drilling down on because you said frictionless mind and that's true. It also, you have to take ego out of the equation. I think for so many people, and we're all guilty of this, but it's very difficult as a human being, but then sort of granularly as a trader to admit when you're wrong and you never want to be that. Now, I will tell you, if you've watched Fast Money for the last 16 years, I'm wrong a lot. And, and I try to point that out because by definition, you're going to be wrong a lot in our business. So I think accepting it and moving on from it, frictionless mind is really important. To Carter's point, put that XLE chart again. I'll tell you, you know, if you just walked, if you just flew in from Mars and looked at this, the right trade is, again, if we can throw that chart, is to buy that uptrend line. And it probably, over time decay, comes in right around 80 or thereabouts. 
Uh, if it holds and it starts to bounce, you can add to it on strength. But to Carter's point, if we get a violation of that line, the first thing you do is get out of the bad trade. And the second thing you do is, you know what? Maybe this thing's going to have legs to the downside. That's how you have to think. So you look at this chart, and to a certain extent, the trade sets up right before your very eyes. It's just you have to have the wherewithal to put it on. Is, is that an accurate comment? 100%. Yeah. And it's so, you know, when you look at these things, there's a reason why we put them up. Um, and there's a reason why we, we talk about these levels. And we're hoping to a certain extent, you know, you take these into consideration and it guides your trading. But that's how you have to look at it. Take emotion out of the equation. Commodities in general is obviously something. XLE is very obviously specific commodity, mostly and all energy. But GSP is a little bit different. You know, it takes into consideration, I think, 23 or so commodities. Again, mm -hmm. mostly energy, but you know you get 19, 20 other commodities that are not in the energy world. Speak to this one because this looks like the XLE chart sort of fast forward, and now we've violated that trend That's line. Right. I mean, it's exactly the same principle. So the trend line is clear, and the important thing about it is that's not my trend line. Guy, that's not your trend line. That is the trend line, right? Not because I say so, because there it is. And this uh, this iShares uh, uh, commodity aggregate, GSG, has responded to trend beautifully. And then notice, of course, once it breaches, which it did uh, three weeks ago, it is thrown back now, rallied, sort of jumped back to the underside of the trend line. Well, that's what I call rallying to the kill zone. Now you go after it on the short side, hence the red arrow. It's an interesting comment here. Um, hopefully we can put it up. I can't sell my... Exxon Mobil shares, I'll owe a bloody fortune in taxes. Now, this is what I would submit to that. And again, it doesn't matter where you're in, where you're out. If trend has changed in something, um, it's time to get out. Now, I think this game of trading is difficult enough, Carter. This is just, again, my opinion. But when you bring in another variable, and that is the amount of taxes you owe, you've made something that's intrinsically very difficult much more difficult because now your view is somewhat clouded by saying, yes, I understand that it, this could potentially going 15 or 20% lower, but I can't get out because I'm going to have to pay the tax. I will tell you, somebody said to me a long time ago, you know, taxes are a high class problem. And this is not me trying to tell anybody out there what to do, but when you bring in one more variable, it just makes what's difficult that much more difficult. Thoughts on that? Right. Well, remember, there are two different. One is security selection, right? Idea generation, um, portfolio management, risk reward. And the other is something not ancillary. It's equally important. But it's, it's, it has to do with tax planning. Literally, it has to do with managing uh, you know, cash flow almost does one have the tax money to pay the taxes. So there are very tax efficient managers and there are people who trade in 401ks where, of course, it, taxes are irrelevant. Um, if the tax burden is too onerous, that is an issue. One way to cope with it is try to put on option strategies so you don't have to sell, but you can maybe collar the stock or buy puts for protection or put on a risk reversal. But either way, they are completely separate matters, right? So imagine if you were to go to a great securities analyst at a leading brokerage firm who covers software and, or an energy analyst say, well, I, I want your opinion about the company and about its prospects for earnings and growth, but I want to talk about my personal tax issues. The analyst would be like, uh, nothing to do with what I do. 
Exactly. And I'm not, I'm not calling that out to pick on somebody. I'm not, right. my only point is, you know, this is hard enough. And when you bring in that extra added component, just makes it that much more difficult. George Noble is here and I'm a huge fan of his work and he's made a couple of comments, but one of the things he just said, and we're going to look at Tesla in a second, but this goes back to Danny Moses's view on a fundamental basis. My Tesla target is $20, but you know, interestingly enough, Danny has talked about sort of similar levels too. And people say to themselves, how is that possible? Like, how can that happen? Well, we've seen it happen in a number of different stocks over the years. It can happen. We're going to look at Tesla in a second, but before we have to look at Tesla, let's look at the ARK ETF because again, this is not to pick on Kathy Wood. You know, I've met her. We've had her on the show. I do think she's a very bright person, but it's virtually impossible to be as wrong as she's been. If you look at her top 10 holdings, um, now with Tesla giving up the ghost, you're talking about stocks that are down anywhere from 60 to 80%. And if you look at the ARC to ETF, that's pretty much exactly what we're seeing right before our eyes. There's a well-defined uptrend line, a break in the trend. Notice ARC throws back, hits its head to the penny at the blue line, and now is undercutting. I mean, I would point out, independent of the name, whether it's Kathy or Hathy or Bathy or doesn't matter. It's not, there's always someone in every bull that becomes a deity of sorts. And so just going through it again, we know that the Munder Net Net Fund, consider this, in 1997 was $10 million. And they closed it in March of 2000 with not 10 million, but 10 billion. Mm -hmm. They got wiped out, right? The other one is, of course, Marsico. They were running 110 billion and then 110 billion. And they're running three now. There's always someone who becomes larger than life uh, in any given market. They're the, they're the golden child. They can do no wrong. Kathy Woods happens to be the person this time. And now, of course, you're seeing the other side of that. By the way, a great movie. Uh, I love Eddie Murphy. The Golden Child is in my top five Eddie Murphy movies. I'll say that without equivocation. Apparently, Dan Nathan's on the plane watching this right now. He said the guy just said giving up the ghost. I used to think it was giving up the goat. He might be right. I thought it was giving up the ghost. I have no idea. Do you know what it is? Just so it's we can. Go, it's ghost. Just, I'm fairly certain. It is the ghost. Yeah, I've thought so as well. I appreciate. It means that. implying you're you're gonna die or you're you're yeah. There are no goats. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I don't know what goat you're giving up. I mean, maybe Dan was a farmer in a past life, but that's neither here nor there. Let's take a look at Tesla, um, because as we mentioned, George Noble thinks 20. Danny Moses has been uh, short this name for a while. Dan played it on the short side. Um, Definitely rolling over. I thought incorrectly that given the volume we saw over the last couple of days, you saw a bit of a short term capitulatory bottom. And here we are today uh, down in, you know, I think it got down to 123 or so, which is remarkable. Uh, given the amount of given the amount of losses you've seen in the stock over the last couple of months, yeah. So I I reversed uh, yesterday uh, or yes or the day before, saying that look, it's I'm not I don't want to be short anymore. And so for a trade, playing for a bounce. Now that the exact opposite is happening, it's continuing lower. But regardless of long term price targets, and and those are spurious. No one knows. Right? Who, 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 that's a lot of guesswork. And then, you know, and I know George very well and Danny equally well, um, uh, but over the years, but the here and now is getting extreme, right? You've got a lot of people throwing in the towel. And I think for a trade, we shall see. Uh, I, I think you're better off trying to, you know, play for a bounce. But uh, for now, uh, that is quite wrong and has continued lower. On this chart, this is all data chart. That's the 150-day moving average. And if you were to look at some annotations, now look at that. So this is the most extreme reading, but the two other times 
when it was 40 plus percent below the 150 day, uh, those were important tradable lows. Um, make money. Now look at the next iteration. It's a two panel. It's the same way it's using an oscillator, a weekly RSI. And then the final iteration, I got some arrows here, but the point is you're, it's not going to go to 20 tomorrow if it's going to 20 at mm -hmm. all, meaning on a tactical basis, my hunch is to play for a bounce. No. So, and I think, you know, I, th I don't want to speak for George. I don't want to speak for uh, Danny, but I think they would agree with that as well. And you're going to get bounces along the way to your point. I mean, maybe the ultimate objective is aforementioned 20 bucks. Again, mm -hmm. I don't really have a view necessarily, um, but along the way, you're going to get very tradable bounces. Now, what I'll tell you is the stock is probably on its way to trading two times normal volume. I think the average volume has recently been increased up to 90 million shares or so. We're probably going to see close to, I think by the day, end of the day, close to 200 million shares. So when you have that kind of turnover, um, mm -hmm. that's at least it suggests to me that you might get a tradable bottom. I, with that said, I probably would have said that two days ago as well. So it gets a little bit dicey. But what I will say is when you do catch that move, and we saw it in Alibaba a couple times this year, and we've probably seen it six or seven times since Halloween of 2020, you get some pretty remarkable bounces. And Alibaba on 4th of July, you had a 35% move, I think, in the next two trading days. And subsequently, I think it went up close to 40% before it resolved itself to the downside. And I'll tell you again, I think it was October 21st, if memory serves, stock traded down to 58 and change, traded huge volume that day, closed at 63. And we talked about it on the show. We said, here's another opportunity to get a tradable bounce on a stock that's been taken out to the woodshed. Right. And that stock went from that 63 close. I think it traded close to 98 recently until it's pulled back. By the way, not coincidental. It's basically stalling at the moving average. So I only bring that up, Carter, to illustrate that you're going to get that type of a bounce in this name, understanding that the worst is probably still not over. Right. And, and to your point about turnover, I mean, I think there's 3.2 uh, billion shares outstanding in Tesla, but the float X out uh, Elon's holdings, it's 2.7 billion. In the past four months, we've traded 6 billion, meaning total shares outstanding, double that have traded at almost 3x the float. So you have a lot of money moving in and out. People in principle who think it's an opportunity, Kathy Woods are buying more uh, or trying to play for a trade. That's my play here. And there are plenty of people who are saying, that's it. I can't take this one more day. I want to get out. But here, too, this gets the issue of taxes. Think about the people that have huge gains. Don't sell Tesla because of taxes. It's a hard one. Yeah. Look, and that's why I try to bring it up because, again, yeah. it just makes a tough game that much more difficult. And somebody's point, I think Eric's pointing out that Apple's not in the same conversation as Tesla. I agree with that, by the way. Again, 100%. Vastly different companies, vastly different stories. And You'll hear a lot, um, you own Apple, you don't trade it. And I understand in theory what that means. But what I've pointed out for years is that we have seen, again, at least six, if not more, 35 to 40% peak to trough declines in a stock that, oh, by the way, uh, made its all-time high almost a year or so ago. And today, here we are um, flirting with, a 52-week low. And my point I've tried to make about Apple is if you didn't know what this company was and if you took the four letters away and just looked at that chart and then I said to you, by the way, 
This is a company that's trading close to 23 times next year's earnings, probably about 4% EPS growth, maybe about that in revenue growth, declining margins. Where should this stock trade? Again, not knowing this Apple. And my, my suggestion is you would look at this chart and you take those inputs and say, it's probably going to go lower still. And that's not to cast dispersions here about Apple. I bring it up because Apple's not immune from all the things that we're seeing, all the headwinds that we've gotten. No, it's just another operating business with uh, goods and services uh, in this case. And uh, does it or does it not breach its June low? Yes, I would not be long Apple. Dan Nathan is requesting a chart, I believe, uh, and Jacob's going to pull it up. I'm not really sure what it is. Maybe, uh, oh, so this is, Carter, can you make this out? Because I quite- Tesla, but I don't know what it's- I think Twitter is the other side of this. So I think, I believe what he's pointing out is just around the time that the the Twitter deal was oh, announced, that, be, that became stop, the right, death the knell. Twitter. Right, right, right. Yeah, for, for yeah. Tesla. And I'll tell you, when this first came out, um, and when the headlines came out for this, it, I think it broke right before Fast Money one night. And collectively, we said, listen, Twitter is not your worry right now. If you're a Tesla shareholder, you should be scared shitless. We obviously didn't say that, but we said something right like that. And that's proven to be exactly true. You know, People take their eye off the ball, and not only that, but they're forced to liquidate a position that's not a particularly healthy brew, Carter. Yeah, I mean, obviously, and this also independent of the Twitter thing, there's uh, we see what's going on in Ford and General Motors. There's a there's issues that are both general to the automotive uh, scene, right? And there's also the issue and issues that are idiosyncratic to Tesla, independent of Twitter. And George is saying something, and we're going to get out of here. And I understand exactly what he's saying. In a bear market, one can only be short or flat, go with trend. Trying to trade counter trend is against my religion. Totally understand, and that's fine. George, I brought it up because every once in a while, and I know you know this, you get these capitulatory bottoms in a bear market that are tradable. Um, And I understand why you'd want to avoid those. I totally get it. But you know, I think we've done a decent job pointing some of them out. And I think we're going to see a lot more of them over the next couple of weeks, CBW. And it, it depends on timeframes. I mean, Enron mm-hmm. and George knows a lot about that one, um, having really uh, done particularly well on the short side. Um, Enron had massive counter trend rallies mm-hmm. all the way down to zero. Uh, and so can you catch one of those? Very hard to do, but lucrative if and as successful. Agreed. Carter? Half hour went by like in 30 minutes. So I want to thank you for joining us because you are the man. You do exceptional work. You got to check out Carter Worth. As I like to say, no emojis with hearts, just charts. That's going to be the new slogan in 23. Um, I think it should be the new slogan in 23. Anyway, that's that. I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet and SoFi. I want to thank our audience. Uh, Leave a comment on Risk Reversal Media. If you like it, didn't like it, whatever. We like to hear from you. We'll be back on Tuesday of next week. Monday's a holiday. In the meantime, Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy holidays. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.